Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Daniel chapter 4 is the capstone on the life of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. It really is. We first met Nebuchadnezzar um, as the conqueror of Egypt. Now keep that in mind, okay? He's very powerful. Um, Jeremiah calls it the Battle of um, Carchemish, and this happened about 605 B.C., Carchemish. He was the commander of the Babylonian armies in the same year that he defeats the Egyptian. Kind of keep that in mind. As he's making his way back to Babylon, he decides that he is going to defeat Egypt's ally. You go, who's that? That's Judah. And that's where he takes uh, Daniel and his friends hostage back to Babylon. In that same year, here's what you need to know. In the same year that he defeats the Egyptian, his father, actually his name is Noble Polassar. Noble Polassar, that was his dad. Can you imagine? What's your, na- what's your dad's name? Noble Polassar, what's your name? Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, they couldn't just say Jim and Fred and Bob. and No, it's, it's what would you call Grandpa Nabo? I don't know what it is, but nonetheless, he dies, and now Nebuchadnezzar is king. And as he beats the Egyptians, as he wins that victory, he comes back, he says, I'm going to take over Judah as well. And that's where he takes Daniel and his friends away. Now remember, he takes them 900 miles away from anything and everyone they've ever known. Now, you might be here and you grew up in Lubbock, Texas, or you grew up in the surrounding areas. Can you imagine being taken 900 miles away to California, to a place that you've never known, you don't know anybody, and the culture so different? You would miss your Lubbock, Texas. You would miss the friendly folks. You would miss the wind. You would miss the dirt. You might even, I mean, you know what I'm saying. Even though it's some of these things are so, oh, and they're frustrating, this is our town. This is, and, and he takes them away. He takes them. And this begins the Babylonians' confrontation with the God of Jerusalem as he takes Daniel and his friends. Now, I want to remind you what we learned last week. So, so important. Chapter 4, if you will, is the utter humbling of Babylonians' greatest king before the God of Israel. And it brought such great encouragement because in a world where we don't know what's happening in our government, we don't know what's happening in our world, we can still rest easy knowing that God is on the throne. Okay, we can rest easy, again, that God is directing the path of what he wants to do. Let me just say this. Jot this down if you're taking note. It's his show. It's all God's show. And he's going to take care of it. And we are just get to be a part of something great that God is doing. Our frustration comes when we don't understand all that's going on. Our frustration comes when we go, hey, I voted for the guy that most resembled a believer. He, he, he loves Israel and, and they didn't win. God, please, can we get a win? But God is in control. I have to, I have to sleep at night knowing that God is in control. So what do we learn? Well, the first three chapters we see Nebuchadnezzar has a, what we call a God encounter. And he has a God encounter by the, fir, by the four boys from Jerusalem. 
These four slave hostages become the means. Here's what I want you to see. These four slave hostages become the means of humbling a mighty king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar finally gets God's message. He, in fact, is the author of Daniel chapter 4. Now, your attention, please, for just a moment. Would you, for a second, put yourself in those four boys' sandals? You've been taken from everything you've known. You're, you're in a place. They're trying to school you. They're trying to uh, get you to learn their culture. They're trying to get you to learn all of these things. You could be somewhat frustrated. You could be complaining. God, I don't understand. Why am I here? How does this play out? I'm just a youth. I'm not going to get married. Are you kidding me? I'm not marrying a Babylonian girl. No, that's against what you've taught me. God, I don't know what to do. But notice what it says. Here's what I said. The hostages, this, this, the circumstances that these boys find themselves in, God uses to humble a mighty king. And you go, Pastor, your point, I want you to think for a second that some of our circumstances although uncomfortable, is to bring glory to God. Our circumstances, our trials. Oh, I don't think anybody here has been taken 900 miles away as a hostage, not able to return. But your circumstances is very real to you. Your trial is very real to you. But what you need to take, step back and take the glasses of the world off and put on the proper perspective and go, Lord, how do you want to use me in this situation? How do you want to use me? How can I glorify you? Church, listen, that's really our goal. Our goal is, is God saved us so that we could bring glory to him. You go, well, how does that work? You come in, you get fed the word of God, and then, and then as you start to grow and you start to sprout, these things are going to come into play as you begin to use them in your life. But the fact of the matter, if we were to interview all four boys, they would tell you it was neither rainbow nor butterflies in Babylon. Oh, sure, there was all you can eat, whatever the king loved, but that was not good. It was harsh. It was rough. I was scared. I had anxiety. I worried. But God used me. And God will use us even in difficult situations. Come on, somebody. Come on, let that sink in. God will use you even in difficult situations in our life. So chapter 4. This chapter, guys, Nebuchadnezzar is witnessing to the whole world a generation to come about the, the God of Israel. Now, think about this. Nebuchadnezzar is a picture of humanity. You go, Ben, how so? Well, he's a picture of worldly success. He's a picture of worldly pride and sin that can follow. Think about it. He's also a picture, if you will. Now, now this is gonna this is gonna get your attention. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, even today in our study, is a picture of the future king of Babylon coming as a ruler at the end of days. It's also called the king of Babylon. This future king 
that's part of the kingdom that you and I, we don't know yet, this is actually described in Revelation 17 and 18. So, when you look at the characteristics of Nebuchadnezzar here in chapter 4, or chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, you can discover that's probably going to be the same characteristics of the revived Roman Empire and the emperor coming from that empire. What do you mean? Very powerful. Nebuchadnezzar was very powerful. He's the head of gold. He was very controlling. We learned that, right, in chapter 3. If you don't bow, if you don't bow, where are you going to end up? In the fiery furnace. And I'm so mad, turn that up seven times hotter. Thank the good Lord that we won't be here to see that. Thank the Lord that we will keep our eyes focused on heaven and one day we'll hear that trumpet sound. But let me tell you our problem. You go, what's that? It's the ones that are left behind. It's the ones that are on the fence right now going, yeah, should I give my life to the Lord? I don't know. Oh, goodness gracious. And it's like, no, no, no. Listen, today's the day of salvation. It's time to get right with God. We're done playing. We're done playing. If you recall last week, Nebuchadnezzar had another dream. Much like the first dream, this troubled him as well. So what does he do? He does what he always does. He calls in the wise guys. He calls in his wise counsel, but this time he doesn't say, tell me the dream. He says, let me tell you the dream and give me the interpretation. Tell me what to do. And the Bible says that they would not, not that they couldn't, but they would not give the interpretation. And I almost kind of feel like there was this heavenly angel putting their hands on the mouth going, because he needs to see and he needs to hear. Now, we need to remember this is not the same dream that, that uh, he had in Daniel chapter 2. So Nebuchadnezzar readily told his counselors, this is the dream. But they did not tell him what it meant. The dream was really fairly easy to interpret. But I wonder, if it wasn't an angel, did these wise men lack the courage more than insight? I know what it is. Tell him. No, I'm not going to tell him. Remember what I don't know what if it's wrong. And we always get that way. We always get that way. Well, Nebuchadnezzar says they didn't make it known, not that they could not make it known. Then verse 8, guys, look at verse 8 of Daniel chapter 4. It says, but last Daniel came before me. I want you to see that. But at last Daniel came before me. I want you to underline that verse in your Bible, highlight it, and you go, why? Why should, I, why should I do that? But at last, Daniel came before me. You go, why? I want you to see, but at last. And here's my thought. Why would this not read, immediately, I summoned Daniel? I know what Daniel did last time. This is why Daniel is in charge of the kingdom. But it says, at last. You see, chapter 2 proved that Daniel heard from God. As a matter of fact, this was Nebuchadnezzar's first God encounter. My question to you is to help you think, or to make you think, in the hours, in the days to come. I want you to think about this. Why do you think that Nebuchadnezzar didn't ask Daniel to come in first? Why? Well, 
Just to think about it, I wonder if Neb said, I know Daniel hears from God. I'm not sure if I really want to hear the truth from God. I don't know. Just something for you guys to think about. But the point I want to make, and I want you to take this home with you, sometimes, church, we do the very same thing. How's that? When all else fails... When we run every avenue in a certain situation and we fall down, we realize, okay, I should have sought God in prayer first. I should have sought God in prayer first. And that's the case with us, guys. That's the case. For some, it might be just a normal activity where we just go through life and we want to handle stuff and we've always handled stuff and I'll take care of it. Are you kidding me? I'm going to do this. Or another time might be that we really don't want to hear the truth of God's Word. We might be in a situation where we know, oh, I don't want to hear the truth of God's Word, so I'm not going to... Let me see if I can fix it. And then you realize, no, I really, I really need to go to God in prayer. Can I encourage you tonight, church? I think we need to have hearts and attitudes that say everything in God in prayer, everything to God in prayer. We just go to the Lord. We go to the Lord in prayer. And, and again, guys... Um, we do this in the sense that we pray about everything. We pray. Okay, well, here's, the, here's what's going to happen next. How about we pray? And you go, yeah, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. So many times, let's be honest, we use that term, I'm going to pray about it, as an excuse. Right? You have a vacuum cleaner salesman at your door. You happen to let them in because you haven't vacuumed your house in three weeks. And you say, go ahead and try. Yeah, let me see what this can do. And they, he says, I can vacuum your living room. And so they do a good job. And they say, wow, that's great. How much is it? They give you the price. Your eyes pop out. You're like, whoa. Well, what do you think? Do you want to buy it today? And our excuse is, well, let me pray about it. Well, I've heard some vacuum cleaners say, got in their knees and start praying right there. Because they are calling your bluff. To which you should get on your knees and say, boy, this is going to take longer than what you have. We're really going to pray about this. Why? Because everything we do, church, listen, everything we do is to bring glory to God. To bring glory to God. Do you remember the reason for this dream? Well, because... Well, we talked about it last week. Nebuchadnezzar was a man who struggled with pride. Do you remember that? He had the gift of pride, and unfortunately, I believe we all have that gift from time to time. It's the gift of pride. He was a man who never can remember who God is. And so pride was a stronghold in his life. Take a moment and look at your life. Take a moment to look at your life. There were three things that the king, that made this king prideful. Do you remember what they were? First of all, he was very secure. Very secure. Second of all, he was very successful. And third, being the king of Babylon, he was very strong. He was very strong. This king was prideful. I started to think about this today because I feel like God oftentimes puts us in positions to where he wants us to grow. And sometimes, even in a position when you're not ready for, 
you can see you're either faith, you'll be, you'll be faithful, or you will blow it in pride. Well, the point is, is that we all struggle with pride. Can I get an amen? And pride manifests in different ways. I want you to think for just a moment, not because I want to convict you or go, oh man, that was such a great Bible study, I walked out crying. I want you to think about something so that there can be growth in your heart. You see, pride is wanting to do things our way. That's pride. I'm going to do things my way. My way. I think it was Frank Sinatra who sang many years ago, I did it my way. I did it my way. Pride is putting ourselves on the throne of our own heart. I don't like to come on a Wednesday night, Pastor talked about pride. Pride is putting me first, not me, you. Putting you first. Let me just say this about pride too, and I think it's important. Pride is never allowing anyone to speak into our lives. And listen, church, this, is a, this really is a struggle for all believers. It's pride. This is what Nebuchadnezzar was struggling with, if you will. I don't know if he struggled with it, but he sure had the gift. He had the gift. Now, before we jump into our text, I want to take a moment because I think that that's always going to be an issue for us as humans. It's pride. It's pride. And how can we overcome wanting to do things our way? Well, to be honest with you, church, we've got to take a step back and say, Lord, I need to learn your way. I don't always want to tell my husband what to do this way. I don't always want to tell my wife, well, it's better you do it this way. I don't always want to, Lord, what do you have for me? Help me to learn and help me to grow. It's so important, guys. You have to take a moment in your life to make sure that that you are not on the throne of your own heart. You see, it's really easy to say that God is on the throne of my heart, but in reality, your actions will... Well, they'll be the ones that call you out on who's really on the throne of your heart. What do I do, Pastor? Ask the Lord. Lord, I'm ready to grow. Am I on the throne of my own heart? Am I always putting me first? And you go, well, Ben, how can I know? Give me a practical way. Well, if you're taking note, jot this down. What do you think about the most? What consumes your mind daily? And if you can, all roads lead back to you, then you might take a step back and go, oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm like Nebuchadnezzar. You've been blessed me all over the place, and now I'm... Can I tell you what pride does? Come on, somebody. When we live in this pride-filled world, it's really miserable. Because if we're, if we're always wanting things our way, how many people get your things your way? You don't. It's a struggle, is it not? It's frustrating. Well, I just wish he would do things my way. Lord, as we struggle with pride at times, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. Help us. As we jump into our text, guys, 
Nebuchadnezzar is still struggling with pride. You know the title, From Palace to the Pasture. This is part two, the sequel. And we left off last week waiting for Daniel to give the interpretation of the dream. The interpretation of the dream. So I want to read, let's read the dream, guys, and then we'll pick it up in verse 18. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream in which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers all came in, and I told them the dream. But they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last, verse 8, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of magicians, because I know the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I, might, that I have seen in its interpretation. And these were the visions of my head while I lay on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth. And its height was great, and the tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. The leaves were lovely, the fruit abundant, and in it was the food of all the beasts for the field around and shade under it. The birds of the heaven dwelt in its branches, and all the flesh was fed from it. And I saw the visions in my head while I lie in my bed. There was a watcher, remember, watcher's uh, 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 angel, the holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried with a loud voice, saying, Chop down the tree and cut its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Lest the, let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots of the earth. Bound it with the band of iron and bronze. And in its tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him gaze under the beast, or let him gaze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him even give him the heart of a beast. And let seven times pass over him. The decision is by decree of the watchers, and the silence of the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. Give it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowest of the men. That's the dream. Picking it up in verse 18. This dream I, king, never can remember, or Nebuchadnezzar have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation. Since all the wise men of my king are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Now, that's where we left off last week. Now, the very first thing we can glean now from verses 226, I want you to jot this down, you're going to see judgment. You're going to see judgment. Now, that's not a word that most pastors like to throw around. All right, folks, we're in a world of judgment, right? We like to hear grace and we like to hear mercy. But right here, we see this is going to be judgment. Why? Why? Listen. Nebuchadnezzar has become super prideful and forgetting who God was. It was God who gives the kingdoms, and it was God who takes away the kingdoms. Now, there are two thoughts here. Number one, Nebuchadnezzar 
although impressed with God, may not be converted. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. Remember, he was super impressed. He's had a God encounter, but that does not mean he was converted. That's a school of thought. We can go, okay, yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay? Another school of thought could be that Nebuchadnezzar, although converted, guess what? Backslid back into a world of pride and arrogance. So he could be going, I got saved, right? I got saved, or I didn't get saved, whatever it might be. We know that Nebuchadnezzar is not right with God at this point, for whatever reason. And so Daniel comes in in verse 19, and he's going to explain the dream. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time. Everybody underline that, okay? So he was astonished for his times, and his thoughts troubled him. Why is that important? I'll explain to you in a minute. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. And Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. Why? Remember I said to underline that he was astonished for a time. And his thoughts troubled him. Okay? Why? Number one, this isn't a good dream. This is a nightmare. This is a bad dream. But what Daniel does is he quietly waits for about an hour. He waits, contemplating how he was going to give the news to the king. Can you imagine? Daniel, the Lord speaks to him, and he's like, Oh, hmm, hmm, hmm. For about an hour, he's very, very quiet, okay? In the original, it says that he was perplexed for a time. Have you ever been perplexed for a time? Now, I want you to keep this in mind. Very important application. Daniel was astonished, you ready? Not because the dream that he couldn't in- interpret it or anything else to him, but he was reluctant to announce God's judgment on the king. You understand that? Why? I've got to tell you, we can grasp something so beautiful from Daniel right here. Even though the judgment, was, even though the dream was going to be judgment, he is taking his time and just really making sure he has the right words. Why? Because Daniel has a heart for others. And it's so important that we as believers carry that same heart as Jesus. That you're looking for others and thinking about them. Not how it's going to inconvenience you, but how you're going to be able to bless, and you're going to be thinking about him. Although it was not going to be a great thing. Daniel says, okay, I need to think about this. I need to think about this. Here's my thought. You ready? Stay with me, guys. Stay with me. When you and I have to confront or tell someone the truth, Here's my question. What is the motive of your heart? What is the motive of your heart? What do you mean, Pastor? Are we anxious to pronounce truthful judgment as to say, well, I told you so. I told you so. When we're to confront someone or speak the truth, when we are going to correct someone, When others mess up, let me ask you a question. Are we quick to remind them how they messed up? It's so important. Why? 
Because here's what the Bible says. Here's some great nuggets. In Ephesians chapter 4 and 15, the Bible says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And although we sometimes, like Daniel, have to speak the truth, here's my, here's my application. Guys, make sure the motive of our heart is love. Is love. Make sure the motive of our heart is love. We are not here to find satisfaction in somebody else's mess-ups. You with me? And we have to be careful. Oh, left. oh, oh. Now, when it's a brother or a sister, no, 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 no. I, I'm, listen, I understand. Why? Because we all mess up. We all have bad thoughts. We all have bad moods. You guys understand that. But if it's somebody who deserves it, boy. You know, what if, what if old Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a born-again believer? It's like, oh, I'm gonna, this is judgment. Boy, God's going to drop the hammer on you. He doesn't do that. Why? Because he has a heart for people. And the ultimate goal is to see others saved. The ultimate goal is to see the unbelievers become believers. Is that not the ultimate goal? Our lives are, are, are being used by God to, to depopulate hell and populate heaven. How we live. Wow. Ephesians tells us, speak the truth in love. Don't find satisfaction in someone else's mess up. Now, you can turn there with me if, you, if you're fast enough. If not, you can look it up in the screen. But I want to give you an example, a biblical example, Okay. Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14, you can turn there. If not, look it or listen, it's fine. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Picking it up in verse 25, you guys know the story. The Bible says, now it was the fourth watch of the night of Jesus went to them, and he's walking on the sea. So the Bible says it was real late at night, and here comes Jesus. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. You guys with me? You guys know the story. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And I bet Jesus smiled from ear to ear and said, come, come. And Peter had come down out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, uh uh-oh, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Your, your attention, please. He was drowning right here. Now, honestly, come on. How many of us, and don't raise your hand, but how many of us used to give Peter a hard time? Pete, come on, dude. You took your eyes off the Lord, Pete. And we admonish Pete all the time. But I got to say something about Pete. There's a couple of things I want to say about Pete. But first and foremost, Pete was the only one who got out of the boat. He's the only one who said, man, let me, let me walk. Pete's the only guy that we know that walked on the water besides Jesus. Yes, Peter took his eyes off the Lord. What's the application? Don't take your eyes off the Lord. The circumstances, the waves, all that, keep your eyes on Jesus. You go, yeah, that's Captain Obvious, but there's more. There's more. So Pete cries out, Lord, save me! 
And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And he says to Peter, look, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Notice verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Can you imagine? Wouldn't you have liked to be there? It's it's like there's Pete going, and he starts walking, and you're just going, wow, Pete. And then Pete starts to say, oh, he's drowning, dude, he's drowning. And then the Lord, and then guess what? They have to walk back on the water to get in the boat. All of this, you're just like, okay? And you're like, cool. But notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, Pete, you had little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Now, I don't know if you, in the story, did you see, did you hear Pete go, I'm doubting! He just, he just took his eyes off the Lord and he just sunk. You pastor, what's your point? Here, here's my point. The focus is on verse 33. Verse 33. Okay? Here it says, Then those who were in the boat, who's that guys? The disciples? Came and worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Guys, listen to me. Listen to me. This is the focus. Why? Because right now, Peter just fumbled big time. Okay? Peter's our leader, and he fumbled. He got out of the boat. He's drowning. He's all wet. You know, and it's like, oh, man, that was dumb, Pete. Oh, goodness gracious. But here's what I want you to see. He's now sitting in the boat wet. You ready? Great application. Great application. None of the disciples are even concerned with Pete. Why? Those in the boat, what are they concerned with? They're worshiping the Lord. You go, Pastor, what's the point? Nobody offered, nobody said, Pete, here's a coat. Nobody says, Pete, seriously, dude? I told you so. I told you you couldn't walk on water, <laughs> big dumb head. You didn't say that, did they? Listen, when Jesus is the center of our lives, even when we have to speak the truth, it should be in worship of God. Make sure, church, that Jesus is the center of your life. You see, our goal is not to be pointing out the faults of everybody. Mel, you walked on water and you fell, you sunk horribly. What's wrong with you, man? How long have you been coming to Calvary? What is wrong with you? And we really just... That's not our, that's not our, that's not our bag. That's not our gig. Okay? No one, no one is going to be harder on you than your own self. When you mess up, when you sin, when you blow it, when you make a bad decision, when you make a choice, when you, even when you say something ugly to your husband or ugly to your wife and you didn't mean to, no one is harder on yourself than you. Because you love Jesus. And so what you want to do is you want to go, Lord, oh. And what Pete didn't need was all the disciples going, what's wrong with you, Pete? You know what they did? They weren't even focused on him. Pete, you walked on the water, amen. But really, my goal is I was focusing on Jesus to worship him. To worship him. 
Sometimes in our lives, Christian, we feel like we need to, what? We need to point out everybody else's mistakes. And I don't know where you got your application or where you signed up for that gig, but that's not our gig, is it? What's your, what's your job? Well, Ephesians says speak the truth in love, so you're telling the truth. But the second part is to worship the Lord. Matthew says, really simple. You know what he says? He says, first take the log out of your eye. Then you'll be able to see the speck in your brother's eye. Really simple. First do a heart check. Lord, where am I? Because I could be this. I could be, I, I've done that. I confess that. And then the goal was to help your brother see again, not to punch them. Now, here's the thing. Listen, I, and I hate to bring it up, but I'm going to bring it up and I'm going to move on. The church is the only place where we shoot our own wounded. Come on, somebody. The church is the only place where we shoot our own wounded. Somebody messes up, and we should not be snickering and going, well, they should have done that. Well, I can't believe that. No, you need, you should be. We should be going, oh, man, I, I know. That, that, that could have been me. That could have been me. Listen, I'm, I don't condone your sin. I don't know but I want to help you. I want to walk with you. And that's our goal at Calvary, guys. We want to love people back to life. We want to get them to a place where you go, man, I love you. I don't want you to sin. I'm not, I'm not praising or, or glorifying your sin, but I want you to know that God has just a better plan for you. And I want, to, I want you to come back to that place. You see, I don't know if the church hurt you, or I don't know if a pastor hurt you, or somebody who claimed to be religious hurt you, or however your life is, but, but the bottom line is Jesus never hurt you. And I want you to walk in that. I want you to walk in that. I want to lift you up. I want to lift you up. Okay, back in Daniel. Back in Daniel, verse 20. Daniel says, The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached the heavens, which could be seen in all the earth, whose leaves are lovely and its fruit abundant, in which the food for all under which the beast of the field dwelt, and the branches of the birds of the heaven had their home. Now, do you guys see the line after, the, after your word? Notice there's a pause. There's a pause there. He's, he's waiting. He's waiting to tell. This is the, here it comes. So, so Daniel is mustering up as much love as he can. Verse 22, he says, It is you, O king. You have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. Now, here's what I want you to see. Instead of reaching for a general point, such as saying, well, we could all use a little more humility, Daniel brought the truth in love. Daniel brought the truth in love. And it was actually similar to what the prophet Nathan told King David. Do you remember that? Do you remember that story? And David, and he looks at David and he says, David, you're the man. You're the man. You're the man. But there's more. Verse 23. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, everybody knows a watcher is, that's an angel, a holy one coming down from heaven saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump, its roots in the earth, bound it with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beast of the field till seven times pass over him. Now, 
He's, he's just re-quoting re the dream. Now he's going to interpret it, verse 24. He says, this is the interpretation. O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And they shall make you eat grass like an oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of the men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump in the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Wow, that's deep, that's deep. Notice what he says. He says, to the most powerful man in the world. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, man, you're going to eat grass like an oxen. <laughs> you're going to, I mean, think about what he's saying. This is, this is the truth. This is the truth. And Daniel explained this to Nebuchadnezzar. The king probably couldn't guess how literally this would be fulfilled. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having a dream? And he says, okay, here's what's going to happen. You are going to be, um, well, you're going to live with the beasts of the field. Like, like Joe Mabry says, you're going to live in the golf course. And you're going to eat the grass of the golf course. And that's going to, that's going to be seven years you're going to be living like this. My thoughts to you right now is how would you react how are you right? Remember the word judgment. He, he's, he's pronouncing judgment. It's like, king, dude, listen. Listen. Seven times shall pass. If you're taking note, he says that's going to be seven years. Seven years. Now, here's the point. Your kingdom will be yours when you come to your senses and realize once and for all that God is God and Jesus is Lord. Okay, so Neb, listen, seven years, seven years. This was God's intended purpose for Nebuchadnezzar. Now, here's the thing. The king could have avoided this humiliating fate if he genuinely humbled himself. Okay? Why? Well, I want you to see that Daniel here is going to offer a solution. You go, what's that? If you're taking note, it's repent. Look at verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Okay? In other words, here's what Daniel's saying. Hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what's right. Break away from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Now let's chat for just a bit, okay? There's a couple of things that are happening right here that we need to address. You go, what are they? Number one, number one, number one. By no means is Daniel offering salvation by works. You understand that, okay? He's not saying, hey, Neb, um, I'm going to recommend that you modify your behavior and then God's going to be happy with you and then he won't judge you. He's not saying any of that, okay? What I really want us to catch is this. We need to understand, check this out, we need to understand that discipline rarely brings about love. But love always brings about discipline. You understand that? Okay, let me say it again. 
we need to understand that discipline rarely brings about love. But love always brings about discipline. You go, what do you mean? Okay, let me ask you this. Husbands, wives, why do we serve our husbands and our wives? Why do we serve them? Why are we supposed to serve them? Okay, now, it's not to gain more favor. Hey, baby, I'm going to do the dishes. And I hope if I do the dishes that you'll look at me with with loving eyes and, and just... No. We serve our spouses because we already love them. You see that. Why? Because discipline rarely brings about love. Well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I hope that she loves me. I hope so. No, you do it because you already love them. And it's the same with, it's the same with Jesus. Why do you do and why do you serve Him? Because you love Him. You love Him. The Bible says in 1 John 4.19, you can look at it at the screen, we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. He first loved us. That's point number one. Point number two, Daniel is asking the king to repent. Everybody say repent. Say it again. Why? It's not a popular word in church anymore. Okay? And yet, we see the Bible to be true. Acts chapter 2, 37 and 38, it says this, and I don't think I put it up on New Living Translation, but I'm going to read it here. It said, Peter's word pierced their hearts, and he said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Peter says to people, you need to repent. And yet, in the church today, unfortunately, that's not a popular subject. But what happens? You can almost hear the music. Will Nebuchadnezzar repent? Or will he forget this dream? Verse 28. All this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, everybody see that, he was walking about the royal palace in Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is this not great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Do you guys see that? Do you see that? I want to give you a nugget of truth here. Okay? If you don't mind writing in your Bible, go ahead and underline verse 29. Why is that important? Because it was 12 months later. 12 months later. The judgment hadn't taken place. And you go, why is that important? Because I want you to see, and right next to this in your Bible, I want you to see the grace and mercy of God. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had a vivid dream that so freaks him out. He told the dream's interpretation. He pleaded with them to repent. And what does God do? God withholds judgment for a whole year. And I'm telling you what, this blesses me. This blesses me. Why? Because it's the Lord's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's His kindness. He's not quick to judge. He's patiently waiting for us to turn and run to Him. Neb, Nebuchadnezzar, you had 12 months. Bro, he, he just told you you were going to you were gonna you were gonna be like a beast. You were gonna eat grass. For seven years you were gonna live. This is a man of statue, of power, of success and strength. 
And he says, listen, if, here's my advice. Why don't you repent? Why don't you really, why don't you really, and Neb goes, thanks for the advice, bro. And 12 months later, nothing had happened. Oh, church, listen, listen. Man. God doesn't always settle his accounts right away. He's so loving and so graceful that sometimes, come on church, sometimes we think that we're getting away with it and all it is is God's mercy and he's, he's saying, please repent, please change, please change. And then we get into a position like Nebuchadnezzar where it's too late. And the consequences of our sin come flooding through the door. And now you've got something to do with it. Now you've got to take care of it. You go, what was Neb's consequences? Verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is this not great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling and my mighty power and the honor of my majesty? And again, Babylon was truly one of the most spectacular cities of the ancient world, which included the famous hanging gardens built by Nebuchadnezzar. But I love verse 31. While the word was still in his mouth, in his king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The king has departed from you. There it is. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like an oxen. Seven times shall pass over you until you know the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That's a scary verse. King Nebuchadnezzar, full of pride, goes, look what I've built. Look at the majesty. I am some... And while these words were coming out of his mouth, he heard a voice from heaven. There you go. There you go. My question to you, church, is do you think old never can remember remembered any of this? He's had a couple of God encounters and he still doesn't really realize who God is. Verse 33 says, That very hour, the word fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar, he was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven until his hair grown like, like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? All of a sudden, you know, and he just, and they're like, dude, what happened to the king? Seriously, he's gone nuts. He's gone nuts. And so what do they do is they kind of maybe swoop him out. Of, Come here. Like, you know, like you do the cat. Get out. <laughs> Go, you know. And, and so there he goes. This is the king. This is the king. Now, question, if you're paying attention, how long is God's judgment? Seven years. How long? Okay, so you read that, right? This is what, this is, old Nebuchadnezzar is going to be eating grass for seven years. His nails are going to grow so long that it's going to be like claws. I mean, his hair, I mean, can you imagine? Hey, I didn't know you got a dog. That's not a dog, that's King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> well, he's out there with the oxen. I know he looks like it. He's probably crawling on all fours. You guys, I'm trying to paint a picture here. You understand that, right? But here's what I find interesting. How long, how long was the judgment? Here's what I want you to keep in mind. If you do a historical study back in this time, there's no record of this governmental activity between 582 B.C. and 575 B.C. 
The silence is deafening, especially when we keep in mind how near, how, how near Eastern leaders like to egotistically trumpet their own achievements and hide their embarrassments. You don't hear nothing. It's radio silence. Radio silence. And then in your mind, here's what I want you to see. Seven years later. You know how they put that on the, on the TV when you're watching a, a movie and it's like, seven years later, verse 34. And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me for the glory of my kingdom, my honor, my splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. What happened right here? Your attention, please. Nebuchadnezzar got saved. He got radically saved. He looked up and he said, wow, you know what? What a fool I've been. There is no one who's greater than the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that, church, is what every man, woman, and child should do, is look up to the King of kings and say, what a fool I've been. I cannot save myself to the glory of God. To the glory of God. Nebuchadnezzar, at this point, would put his name on that wall over there. You see that wall right there? When someone at Calvary Chapel says yes to Jesus, we're going to take a little three-by-three card and just simply write their name on it. And we're going to say, listen, you are part of the family now. We want you to be part of the family. So today, Nebuchadnezzar would go on that wall. Hey, Neb, there you go. You're saved. You're saved, buddy. My hopes is at the end of 2023 that there wouldn't be any black shown on that wall. We've already had a few that as soon as the cards come in, we'll put them names on there. But that's our goal. That's our goal. Last verse, verse 37. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is about to put down. Can I get an amen? As we close our Bible study tonight, this is the verse that we need to take home. Oh, we've learned about Nebuchadnezzar in the last two. He was the man gifted in pride, and God says, I don't play that game. I don't play that game. He was a man who walked around with great strength, great success, great security. Much like many people today. And yet, we realize through the text that God is still God. 
and that He's King above all things. And He's asking us tonight to humble ourselves, to look up and give Him glory, the glory due. We give Him glory for the successes we have in our jobs and in schools and all that we have, we give Him glory. You see, it's Him who gives us the ability to do what we do. We give God the glory for our marriages. And we say, Lord, protect our marriages and we give you glory. We want our marriage to glorify you. The strength that we have to get up every morning should be the strength we use to glorify God. If you will be sensitive enough tomorrow, God will bring people in your path that need to hear the gospel truth. And when we speak the truth, we don't do it in a way that's, oh, I'm going to show you, you should have listened to me. We do it in a way that loves and brings and restores. Tomorrow when you wake up or in the next week or two or months or years, somebody that you've shared the gospel with years ago might come into your path and they might be just headed down a road of destruction. You might see them at the grocery store. It's not our job to go say, hey, listen, if you would have listened to me five years ago, if you read your Bible, if you would have stayed coming to church, if you would have, if you would have, you, you would have. That's, that's not our gig. Our gig is to go, hey, how about a hug? Are you okay? How can I help you? What can I do? Well, yeah, but I've really messed up. I understand. You don't have to do that anymore. Come on, let's, let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can do. You're, you're welcome. You see, here's the biggest thing that I've noticed over the last 19 years. When people come to church and they'll sit here for a while and we'll get to know them and then they, for any reason, decide that something happens and they don't come back to church, can I tell you what the number of reason that they don't come back? They're afraid that people are going to say and look at them, well, where were you? And, da, da, da. and we can't believe that. And every one of them has told us, well, I was afraid to come back. I was embarrassed. This should not be a place. How many of you are embarrassed to go to the ER when you're sick? None of us. We get there and we go, I'm sick. I got to go. And we don't go, well, they're going to judge me if I go to the ER. Well, this should be a place, this should be an ER for those and say, hey man, we're not here to judge. We're just here to love you and come on back. We want you to come back. We want you to be part of our family. That's the goal. That's the goal. We say goodbye to Nebuchadnezzar tonight. We won't talk about him anymore. Thank God that Nebuchadnezzar saved. Maybe in heaven one day you'll run into him. And you can say, hey, we were studying Daniel. It trips me out. He goes, yeah, yeah, what a fool I was. But what do you think? Well, look at this place, Ben. God is God. My kingdom was nothing. As a matter of fact, there is no Babylon anymore. But there's the kingdom of God. Amen. Lord, you are so good to us. And you've taught us so much in the book of Daniel. And we say goodbye to one king, and we're introduced to another king. Father, thank you for your word today. My prayer, Lord Jesus, is that every one of us would repent, that we would confess our sins to you even now. We would allow the Holy Spirit to move in such a beautiful and a mighty way. And God, we would fall on our face before you. 
Father, our heart's desire is not for a Wednesday night to just get through it. Oh, okay, 30, let's go. Our heart's desire is that we will walk out of here talking more about Jesus, talking more about the lesson and who you are than anything else. Father, our heart's desire is that when a Peter falls and messes up, our reaction is to worship God who saved Peter and who saved us. So tonight, Lord, as we worship you, may we just take a moment to just to talk to you. Father, the day's events are rushing past our mind and what we have to do and how we have to get home and what we got to do tomorrow and, oh, and Lord, this weekend's coming up and so forth and so on and so forth. But for, for just a moment tonight, could we, could we just converse with you? Could we just tell you we love you? Could we, could we confess our sins if need be? Could we repent? Could we listen to your precious Holy Spirit? Could we be silent before you for just a few moments? have a heart of gratitude in all that you're doing in our lives. And can we worship you in this final song. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.